Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Well, hello there. I do thank you for downloading the podcast. I certainly hope that you're having a wonderful and blessed day. We are honored that you have taken time to download this podcast. Again, I would encourage you to go to our webpage, as the young lady introduced us with, at biblicalquestion.com. There you can find out a lot more information about us, and I would encourage you to do so. There's a free ebook uh, still available for you to download. I would encourage you to do that as well. In the meantime, why don't you open a Bible, please, and follow along. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse 10, and today I'm going to be reading from the NIV as we look at some, really, I, I think, some distorted teachings on atonement and salvation. In recent podcast, I've been doing more and more things about what the early church fathers had wrote about and talked about, basically. And this is kind of where I got this idea from to talk about today. So Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14 reads, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up into heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So in today's podcast, I'm going to talk about some, really some profound heresy uh, ideas and teachings. In this gospel account here, uh, we have two men. Uh, This is kind of a short parable, but I think it's an important one. The first is the Pharisee. The Pharisee begins his prayer, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. We consider this boasting, of course, but something I learned uh, several years ago through reading and studying, I had an Old Testament teacher who was very intelligent. I learned a lot from him uh, about the Old Testament. Uh, Bob was uh, a man who just was really gifted with the Old Testament. He really helped open it up for me. Uh, Prior to uh, this seminary, preaching school, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Old Testament was just a big, long storyline. And he really helped shrink it down and uh, explain some things. And one of those things would be, you can't not always understand the New Testament without first understanding the Old. 
he had a book called a Jewish prayer book, and he opened it up and he began to read. And he reads this out loud, obviously, and this is what it said. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortionist, unjust, and an adulterer. I thank you that I'm not a woman. Sorry, ladies, uh, that's what it said. And, and Bob would go on to explain that, that this Jewish tradition, as he understood it and studied it as well, that men are from the earth, that is dirt. God created man from the dust of the earth. And that's why little boys like to run around and get dirty. They're digging into familiar territory. Women, however, are made of a higher substance. Women are made of man. The thanks to God for this was the opportunity to strive for holiness. And it's really kind of something worthy uh, I guess, to give thanks for. But this Pharisee is just saying his morning prayers. He, he's just reciting a prayer that he's been taught. And so many of us are guilty uh, of doing the same thing. The Pharisees uh, were really big. They tithed uh, mints, they did other things, vegetables, whatever. They got they whatever they received. Uh, they tithed on that. They were just really uh, big gun hole type things on this. They said their prayers in the temple uh, every morning and evening. And they were leading righteous lives. Us, not so much. We all talk about not judging others, but honestly, we, we do. We don't say all of our morning and evening prayers. Uh, we don't all the time uh, cheerfully read our, our Bibles. Uh, we don't tithe. Really, this tithe really is an Old Testament uh, deal. That's The New Testament teaches more of a, I think, of a cheerful giver, which to me is much more challenging. If you know a 10% of everything that you have, own, receive, it's pretty simple. But to do it from a cheerful heart becomes, I think, more challenging. We have an important and humbling type lesson, I believe, from this parable. The Pharisee was better than we are. By, uh, but by his boasting, he did not receive God's blessing. But really, he was better than us. At least he prayed twice a day. Some of us don't even pray once a week. Now, this other man was a sinner, and he admits it. Like us, uh, he'd come to the temple, but he doesn't even lift up his eyes to God in the heaven. And, and we come on Sunday morning to church, and the question has to be, uh, are we repenting? Uh, this man was. Are we really humbling ourselves and asking God to forgive us of our sins? This man, he knew his true state. He came in hope and he had faith, 
without any type of presumptions, he truly repented and he received God's mercy. This is why during certain times of the year, people, they, they like to fast in some denominational type settings. Um, they take time to, to make special uh, ceremonies in, in their church. But really, every moment of our life needs to be a time of repentance. This man said nothing to justify himself at all, if you really read his words. Not a single word of self-righteousness. Do we do that? Probably not that much. He was set right with God. Uh, this is called being uh, justified. Because it is necessary to repent in order to re-salvation. And Bob was also my sign language teacher. And there is no sign for justification, uh, per se, in sign language. And so you have to sign it made right with God. And that's exactly what this man has done. He is set right with God. Salvation is to be set right with God. There are many faults, I believe, understandings about the works of Christ and the theories of atonement, and this is going to be the core of the podcast today. Some things I'm going to say, you're going to say, ah, I'd never heard that before. Uh, I would encourage you to go and, and study some of the uh, original teachings, again, of the early church fathers. And listen and take notes and play this several times. I know many listeners around the world actually listen to the same podcast several times. And I get some really positive feedback, and I'm grateful for that. First of all, salvation is not solutions to problems that don't exist. I, I want to say that again. Salvation is not solutions to problems that don't exist. I remember a movie called The Music Man. And we must not allow this Christian theology to act like uh, Robert uh, Preston running around telling people there's trouble in River City. While having the solution right here in my suitcase for small investment. If you need to sell something, you need a problem that solves it first. If there's no problem, you create one. There are many false understandings of atonement. So let me try to go through them here. Most of them come out of these theology schools in the West. They really don't exist uh, early uh, church, like I said, uh, history. Uh, they really don't necessarily still exist in the eastern part of the world in the church either. The ransom theory of atonement is one. Mark 10.45 says, Even for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what this theory of atonement 
is based on. The Son of Man came to give his life. In this metaphor, Jesus liberates mankind from slavery uh, to the devil, and thus death uh, by giving his own life as a ransom. Not understanding the metaphor, eventually some Christians have taken this literally, which then begins to question, to whom did he pay it? Did he pay it to the devil? No. A conqueror does not go to the jailhouse and pay for the prisoners. He puts his foot in the throat of his defeated enemy, and he takes whatever he wants. And the reason that I really don't like to follow this view is because I, I see it as a metaphor. The idea that the devil could be rewarded by God by paying for the hostages with himself is really kind of almost tranny. Uh, as if evil can hold God hostage and demand a ransom. You know, Christ is the victor. He is the victory. He paid the price in the sense that he did what had to be done. And then there's this idea of debt satisfaction This in this theory of atonement. The debt satisfaction theory of atonement sees Adam's sin as continuously, nonstop offending God in his honor. This is a little closer uh, to me. I mean, as a kid, I, I remember watching this movie uh, called Beckett, where Thomas Beckett admits that he falls in love with the honor of God. And he says that the kingdom of God is a real kingdom and that it must be defended like any other kingdom. Under this theory of atonement, God's honor has been offended by us poor mortals and ordered that the divine justice be filled, he must punish us with death to restore his honor. I don't know to whom he must restore it, but that's, that's another issue. Here's the problem. Under this theory, in order that it's not, be, not to be seen that God takes sin lightly, that God must repay evil with evil. Therefore, God has a, a greater law than himself. God is neither free, nor does he have mercy. God demands payment of this infinite debt. And obviously, no mortal is infinite. But eventually, infinity is offended. But Jesus, as the God-man, has infinite merits, and therefore he can pay this debt. This is this kind of thinking that led toward the invention of indulgence in the Roman Catholic Church. The 
temporary punishment must be paid by each soul. Despite forgiveness of sins by Christ, and all this can be alleviated through indulgence from the church. And, and the merits of Christ and his saints exceeded what was necessary to atone for each one's sin. They are built up in this treasury of merits. With the Catholic Church has this ability and the right to, to do away with this as it sees fit. And, and this doctrine has been going on for a long time. In the ransom theory, the debt is paid to the, de uh, to the devil. In the debt satisfaction theory, the debt is paid to God himself, as if we were being held bondage, held in bondage, uh, excuse me, by God the Father. This debt satisfaction theory became a really a dominant theory of atonement in the Western Christianity. And it remains really to this debt, uh, to this day, excuse me, despite of its obvious and glaring problems. Then we have a penal substitution theory of atonement. After the debt satisfaction theory, uh, Protestant reformers invented the, the penal substitution theory based off, I believe, of a false understanding of mankind's total depravity after the fall. Stating that Jesus, who died for us, was punished in our place by the Father, of course, it is related to this debt satisfaction theory. And in this theory... All individual punishments for sins, every sin fell on Jesus. More sin, more punishment. Only then could God be satisfied that his divine justice has been fulfilled. God cannot just forgive sin and leave it at that. You know, I believe God's love, and that love is unconditional. We, we do not believe that God's wrath can only appease by killing his own son. I don't believe that God himself must be healed of his passions and the wrath of, from the blood of his own son. If so, it appears that God himself needs healing, needs blood of his own son to heal him. And that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But rarely, that would come out of Greek mythology. Zeus. What a bloodthirsty God. Okay, and so, on a popular level, these three theories are combined sometimes so that Christ, by his death on the cross, simultaneously paid the price to the devil and the Father and receives the punishment for our sins. And... And this idea that Jesus suffered uh, the punishment for our sins, then we don't have to suffer at all. And this introduction is really an open door to the prosperity gospel. And that's kind of what we have a lot of today, the prosperity gospel.
there's another theory that camp comes in as a reaction to these distorted views of atonement and and the moral theory of, of atonement is this that christ merely showed us the way to be good there's really no change in us because we can refuse to follow his example there is no exchange in, in us because christ uh, and his redeeming work. Okay, so can we refuse to follow his example? Sure, we have free will. This idea is comes from actually Oprah. Oprah, and I really just don't like talking about her. She is far from any Christian friend. But this is her theory, and you can go on YouTube and, and find it, where she says Jesus didn't come to die for our sins. He came to show us how to live our life. That's why he came. This de-emphasis of Christ redeeming death on the cross, and, in, and indeed the whole incarnation, it, she just simply rejects it all out of hand. In other words, Christ didn't actually accomplish anything. He was just a good example for us. And that's really what she says. If all these are wrong, what is the teaching of the early church? Atonement is therapeutic to the soul. We see atonement as healing, genuine, affectional to us individually. We do not perceive that God looks at us, but only sees Jesus' righteousness as if he was easily to, to deceive through this peekaboo game. I believe atonement heals us. It restores us to this wholeness in the image of, of God in us. In the early church, they saw three barriers between God and man. Nature, sin, and death. God is separated from man by his divine nature. We have a limited uh, mortal uh, nature about us. And God, he exists beyond existence. By his incarnation in the flesh, Christ united the divine nature to human nature in his person. The glorified, resurrected flesh of God, the God-man, Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Father to this very moment. Christ united the Godhead to humanity in his flesh. By the cross, Christ destroyed the power of sin again in his flesh. By his resurrection, Christ destroyed the power of death again in his flesh. Old Testament sacrificial system class that I that I was required to take taught this. The life is in the blood. 
So the big question about the blood of sacrifice was this in class. Is it designed to appease an angry deity? This sacrifice? Was it designed to affect the change of those offering the sacrifice? The answer to the early church was it's, it's always been therapeutic. It is this sacrifice of the Old Testament. They were intended to affect the change of those offering the sacrifice. To help heal the interior person. God himself in many places in scripture proclaims that he desires no blood of bulls and goats. He neither wants nor needs sacrifices. We need them. For the sacrifice to be complete, especially in the Passover sacrifice. With the priests making this sacrifice, they had to consume a portion of the sacrifice as well as yourself, or you were excluded from the covenant. The blood sacrifice, the, the blood of Christ, is here when we offer this and receive this when we do the Lord's Supper. We, we remember that. We practice that. When we eat and, and drink the Lord's Supper according to his commandment, we receive the, this body and blood of Christ. We become partakers in this divine nature. I get it that it's symbolic, but what we're saying is we are partaking in the sacrifice of Christ. He his body, his blood. Peter would write about this in his epistle. Now, in every sacrifice, there are four necessary elements. The first is to God to whom the sacrifice is made. The priest who is offering the sacrifice those on whose behalf the sacrifice is being offered, the sacrificial victim, that means what was being sacrificed. And see, Christ fulfills all of these in his flesh. He is in the flesh, God Almighty, the eternal word, Yahweh. He is the eternal high priest who offers the only acceptable sacrifice. He is one of us. He's a member of the human race and his flesh and therefore can offer on our behalf for all of us. And he is the sacrificial victim. He is the Passover lamb. He is the only acceptable sacrifice received by the Father. Christ unites all of us as Christians. Christ heals the rift between God and man. Because he is the healing that we need. His crucifixion destroyed sin. 
His death destroyed death. Uniting ourselves to him heals us in every possible way, whatever makes us weak and lacking. Christ heals. That is atonement. That is salvation. The healing and the re idea of this human person, this body, soul, and spirit all need healing. And only Christ can give us that healing. It is only a way that we can access the grace. We need to be able to access him. And how do we do that? The gospel reading that I read at the beginning of, of the podcast, it tells us through humility and repentance. That's how we access his grace about becoming more and more like him. I know this is a different view than most of you have ever thought of, ever heard, or read. I really want you to give some dear, serious, deep thought about it and not just to write it off. Uh, I, I know it's a little bit uh, a, a different of an angle, perhaps. Um, but it is what the early, early church taught for first thousand, fifteen hundred years or so. And... You know, the more I go back and I kind of look at the early church fathers, they are so much closer to the life of Christ, to the original writings, than you and I. We're separated 2,000 plus years. they only a couple hundred. And I'm not saying that they had it all figured out. But boy, I'm telling you what, it is some very interesting studies and read. And it takes a lot of time. And it's probably something that most people have never gave much thought to. I certainly hope that you would. Uh, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Christ. That's the only way. If he is not the only way, then woe is me, because I've believed a lie. You've believed a lie. And I don't want to go there. Please tell others about us. I certainly hope and pray that you uh, will continue to listen. Tell others about us. Uh, make sure you please hit that like button and follow us so you get alerts uh, each time that we release a podcast. Again, I want to thank you for listening. May God bless you, and may He have the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast or prayer request? We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you, and may He have the glory.